0: All our whining about losing our free weekend to some swanky dinner with 600 strangers evaporated the instant we saw the chateau. It was immediately one of those landmark buildings you feel lucky to have even seen from the outside, let alone be invited into. And let me tell you, the inside did not disappoint. Our host and hostess for the evening were the Chief Chevalier and his wife. They greeted us in the receiving line just inside the door and escorted us down a series of stone stairways to the immense room where the dinner was to be held. I've never seen a banquet arrangement like this one. I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at kathysullivanexplorers.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you. And also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to kathysullivanexplorers.com. Explorers like you and I know the value of leaning into the unfamiliar, even when our first reaction is, awkward. Society loads us up with plenty of stereotypes that can set us up for this kind of discomfort, especially in social situations. These preconceived notions can lead to feelings that we won't fit in or be accepted in a group of people we've maybe heard of but don't know and who perhaps come with more wealth or fame than we do. It seemed at least to me that we were being pitted against each other. On a societal level, we surely were. That much would be confirmed to me at the end of the event. But let's go back to the start of that unusual evening. It was all very well and good to be invited to an elegant dinner at a Grand Chateau in France, but it did raise a few questions. The main one for my two male colleagues was, how do I rent a tux in France? Mine, of course, was the one every woman knows so well. What on earth will I wear? To top it all off, I learned shortly before the event that I would be one of two featured guests for the evening. The other? A top-tier movie star and model who's as revered in France as St. Joan of Arc herself. This all happened to me in the late spring of 1985. My fellow astronauts, PJ Weitz and Dale Gardner and I, were members of the official U.S. delegation to that year's famous Paris Air Show. The air show was a prized assignment in the astronaut corps, as you can imagine. We'd have a week in France to hang out with the world's best pilots, to ogle all the new planes and rockets made by the world's top aerospace companies, and watch spectacular flight demonstrations by everything from huge lumbering airliners to super-agile fighter jets. And another plus for me was that I'd be immersed in speaking French the whole time and have a free weekend to connect with old friends. A week or so before our departure, we learned that the NASA administrator had claimed our supposedly free weekend. So instead of enjoying the delights of Paris— we would stand in for the American ambassador at a large formal dinner outside of Dijon hosted by a group called the Chevaliers de Testvin. We had no idea who these Chevaliers de whatever were until a pilot friend of mine who knew the high society scene filled us in. La Confrérie des Chevaliers de Testvin, the Brotherhood of the Knights of Testevin, or wine tasting, was founded in 1934 by a trio of winemakers from Burgundy, who want to celebrate that region's fine wines. Today, they number some 12,000 members, and have 75 chapters all around the world, all joined by the ethos, only he is good, who seeks to be better. Well, you gotta love that. Made us think that maybe these guys might turn out to be pretty cool after all. The dinner would be at the Society's official seat, the Chateau de Claude de Vaugeau, According to my pilot friend, the high society types in Paris and the United States would kill for an invitation to this dinner, so we should count ourselves lucky, she said. I was still unconvinced that a fancy dinner in the countryside was a better deal than a weekend noodling around Paris. But back to those first thoughts. Just as we imagined, PJ and Dale's first thought was about how to rent tuxes in Paris, and mine was indeed about finding a dress for the occasion in the short time we had before departure. And this seemed like a big challenge to me on a couple of accounts. I'm no fashionista, for one thing. I've always been more comfortable suiting up for an adventure than getting dolled up in formal attire. Plus, my meager civil servant salary could only reach so far into the realm of haute couture. And did I mention that I hate shopping? I eventually did find a dress I liked at a price that would not totally destroy my budget. It was a full-length, high-waisted, Wedgwood blue number with a band of lovely embroidery across the bodice. I shelled out a whopping $450, as I recall. I had never spent so much money on a single piece of clothing in my life, but the Chevalier dinner sounded like an occasion that called for stretching the budget. And then came the final bombshell. That evening's theme was Les Deux Catharines, the two Catharines. Uh, meaning me and who else? Well, the second Catherine was none other than Catherine Deneuve. That's Deneuve as in the muse who inspired designer Yves Saint Laurent's creations, the face of L'Oréal and MAC Cosmetics, and a famed international film star. Oh, and just in case all that wasn't enough... She was also the official face of Marianne, France's national symbol of beauty. In other words, the evening would feature a low-budget space cadet versus a glamorous international film star. Yikes. Now, Madame Deneuve and I weren't really being pitted against each other by the hosts, but everyone knows that women are judged by their looks and their clothing the moment they walk into a room by both the men and the women present. Mrs. Deneuve would no doubt show up with perfect hair and makeup in designer dress sporting lots of expensive jewelry, none of which I could match. So if there was a fashion contest, I wasn't going to win it. Happily, astronauts are very good at triaging complex concerns, discerning the ones that really matter, and putting others completely out of our minds. So I didn't stew over this for very long. The calculus was really quite simple. Number one, the dinner was a command performance. Skipping it was not an option. Two, I can't control what the nerve wears or what anybody thinks. Three, they invited me for who I am and what I've achieved, not for what's in my closet and jewelry box. So that's that. Go with who you are and have as much fun with it as you can. All our whining about losing our free weekend to some swanky dinner with 600 strangers evaporated the instant we saw the chateau. It was immediately one of those landmark buildings you feel lucky to have even seen from the outside, let alone be invited into. And let me tell you, the inside did not disappoint. Our host and hostess for the evening were the Chief Chevalier and his wife. They greeted us in the receiving line just inside the door and escorted us down a series of stone stairways to the immense room where the dinner was to be held. I've never seen a banquet arrangement like this one. The former wine cellar was decorated with 2,000 long-stemmed roses in huge arrangements at the head of each table, easily 18 inches high and 3 feet wide, and more in every sconce on the wall, in every column, and every other nook and cranny that could possibly hold a blossom. The seating arrangement was also like nothing I'd ever seen. Each of the eight or so tables was a long, narrow horseshoe, with places set for guests on both sides. There was more cutlery around my plate than I knew what to do with. The knives and forks would sort themselves out, as long as I kept to the outside-in rule, but I had no idea what to do with all the spoons at the top of my plate. I figured Mr. Chevalier would know, and I would just follow his example. And then there were the glasses. The large, short-stemmed one was clearly a water glass. But on this table, it was accompanied by eight crystal wine glasses arranged from tall to short, like the entrapped family children in the sound of music. Now, I had not yet discovered the joys of fine wine, so I just wondered how you could possibly need so many glasses for a single meal. I was seated at the head of the central horseshoe, at the right hand of the Chevalier president. Madame Deneuve, looking beautiful as expected in a white Dior suit and diamonds, arrived just as we were sitting down and sat with her escort four or five places to my left. I thought it a bit odd that our host didn't introduce his two Catharines to each other before the dinner got underway, but there you go. So I could only hope we'd have a chance to meet and chat a bit sometime during the event. The evening's program seemed to have two goals, wine and humor. The wine, served with each of the eight courses, had been voted by the Chevalier to be the best of that variety for the year. The humor was provided by the introduction to each course, which was basically a stand-up comedy routine, mocking French politicians and roasting the winning winemaker. My fluent French really paid off that evening because I could follow along with jokes and enjoy the evening with the crowd. As a systems person and ops geek, the real marvel of the evening to me was how such a lavish dinner was served essentially simultaneously to some 600 souls. The Chevaliers were not a crowd to tolerate that annoying rattling of plates and tinkling of silverware that usually interferes with dinner at a large banquet. Instead, as each comedy routine began to wind up, a veritable army of red-jacketed waiters with domed silver platters perched on their left shoulders, oozed discreetly into the room, took up an assigned position, and stood silently at attention. As soon as the MC said, alors bon appétit, they sprang into action, served their assigned four or five plates max, and were gone. 600 guests were served, and the army of waiters vanished in under a minute. And they cleared our place with the same speed, efficiency, and silence, leaving us free to enjoy the evening's splendid dinner and good company in peace and quiet. The head Chevalier turned out to be a delightful man. We chatted happily all evening long. I told him about flying in space, and he explained the more obscure jokes from their gigs and told me about the Burgundy region and her fine wines. Since those wines didn't interest me, I asked my waiter for some water. He filled my glass and then plopped the very inelegant two-liter plastic bottle on the table in front of me. Mr. Chevalier was aghast he quickly leaned across me and moved the bottle behind the masses of roses where no one could see it. Please don't let anybody see your drinking water at this dinner, he whispered. On the other hand, my lack of interest in the wines delighted the guest to my right, NASA Administrator James Beggs. All my neglected glasses were handy second servings to Mr. Beggs, who would quietly reach across and grab whichever ones he pleased. Boy, do I wish now I had kept that evening's wine list. The finale for the night was the ceremony inducting the three American astronauts into the confrerie and awarding us the lovely little silver tasting cups that proved our membership. Our host had alerted us that we'd be called up on stage for this and, and even asked to say a few words, adding that he hoped our remarks might be humorous in keeping with both the spirit of the evening and the obvious fact that no one would be taking anything very seriously after eight or more glasses of wine, I decided to share a favorite story from my first flight. When Canadian astronaut Marc Garneau and I replied to Mission Control's routine morning wake-up call by pretending nobody was home aboard the shuttle, and imitating a French voicemail machine. Mark did the voicemail, transmitting the French version of, all of our circuits are currently busy. Please wait on the line. Someone will be with you shortly. Meanwhile, we hope you enjoy this musical selection. And my job was to then start the music I had queued up on my recorder. I have no idea how funny Mission Control found it during the mission, but the Chevalier crowd ate it up. So after all our dread and whining about this dinner, PJ and Dale and I had a grand time, and were surprised to discover it was 2.30 in the morning when we left the chateau. As our host was walking us back to our bus, he leaned towards me and whispered, you were a much better guest tonight than our Catherine. I've thought about this episode a lot in the years since, and found it gave me several useful insights. It affirmed for me the value of always taking the posture of explorer, even when my first or gut reaction runs counter to that. I did that in this case but getting quickly past Catherine Deneuve's intimidation factor. Not that that's always easy, of course, and I had to talk myself through it a few times before the day arrived, but I did it. The other question I've pondered is where Deneuve's head was that evening. She seemed distant, even rather icy all night long, talking only to her escort and barely laughing at the monologues. What was that about? Was she tired of appearing at such events? Shielding herself from adoring fans? I've had just enough fame in my life to sympathize with both of those feelings. Or perhaps she was intimidated by me. That, of course, didn't occur to me at the time. Surely a woman with her fame and style and good looks couldn't possibly find little old me intimidating. But it's been the instant reaction of my friends whenever I tell this story. So who knows? Whatever it was, it makes me wish even more I'd had a chance to talk to her. I bet if we'd had a few minutes to chat informally, the caricature of the other we each had in our minds, thanks to society's stereotypes, film star, astronaut, would have dissolved, allowing us to see the human being within the persona. And that leads me to think about how much of the pain and trouble in our world stems from these stereotypes we carry around. And how much of it might disappear if we could meet openly and genuinely with that other we hate or fear or are intimidated by. How much of all that would drop away if we saw through to our common humanity. And that brings me back again to staying curious about the people around you and finding ways to connect with them regardless of their official station or how you imagine or fear they might react to you. I've made this my life's mission because I have found something of interest and value in every single person I've met through my life, from the so-called least of them to the so-called greatest. I'm sure you will too, if you look and listen with real intent. So keep exploring with a view to finding common ground Because when you do, you'll always discover more than first met the eye. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplorers.com.